what everybody said about the bird. Don't you know about the bird? Well, everybody knows that the bird is the word. Bird, 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 surfing. Take that, Peter Griffin. All right, and we're and we're back. Now it's time for our list, list movies. movies, and it's Andrew's turn first. I saw Ingmar Bergman's 1965 very Swedish film, Persona. I do not get this film. (laughs) And it's not as if... Okay. And it's not as if I didn't watch it and admire it. Because the thing that I want to mention that I love most about this... uh, Is that it has beautiful black and white photography. Yes. And I've never noticed black and white photography like that before. You could see the pores on people's skin. You could see the shine on their faces in a good way. You watched a good... Uh, DVD copy. I believe it was the Criterion uh, Collection. Very good. So you watched, like, the most restored this movie will ever get. Yeah, and it looks great. Yeah, Sven Nikovist was the cinematographer. He's done all of Bergman's major films. Um, You know, and he really, I think, took super care with this one, too. You know, because in part, like, for me, what the movie's about, if anything, is about, like, the cinematic experience. Now sort of that's worth c- that's worth exploring because this film is divided in half and bookended by images of film. Mm-hmm. Like not just like oh we have clips of things. No, they have like here's the film running through the camera, showing the film here's, through the camera. Uh, here's the spark of the light in the light bulb that's going to project the images. And in the middle of the film, there's a break where the film breaks, and yes. then they finish the film with another image of film strips. Mm-hmm. And in between this, the story And I'm like, is... okay, this is obviously about film somehow. But towards the end, it just uh, kind of petered out for me. I didn't quite get what was going on. Hmm. Uh, it, did, it, it didn't... The ending did not seem concrete to me. And I, and I think let, that... Let me be a little more specific. It, um... For those of you who don't know what this movie is there about, was a first big of scene all... at, There's a big scene at the end that basically is supposed to wrap everything up and it wrapped up nothing for me. So mm. let, let me do what you uh, what you were about to do. Uh, give me a s- short synopsis. Yeah. Uh, so the, the audience s- knows what we're talking right, about. Persona is about two women. One of them is uh, Sister Alma, who's kind of a nurse. Mm-hmm. She's taking care of a patient named Mrs. Vogler, who's an actress, uh, who had a sort of nervous breakdown on stage and now does not speak. Yeah, so at one moment she was just doing her performance and the next minute she just suddenly stopped talking she tried to say she said afterward like oh yeah i was just felt like i was about to laugh but then the next day she's not talking to anybody right and people don't know something in her might have just snapped maybe you know who knows it could be that you know nobody just becomes mute all of a sudden but maybe some kind of trauma happened to her in her brain some sort of some sort of hysterical illness where people just start stop talking or things like that yeah um and I mean, it's and, it, and it's very straightforward. It's there. There are very few strange images, or and it doesn't seem like there's much of like a meta narrative going on. It's basically just this. It's it starts off as this very straightforward 
story of these two women, one of whom takes care of the other. Uh, and then there's a little sense of... What happens is, though, there at first she's in the hospital, and there is one moment that she is kind. Of, she she does respond to things that can upset her. Like she she's seems not like a catatonic. Person. She's no, she's just a person who who does not speak. No, there's one moment that I found interesting. I wanted to ask you about where she is in her room and the television is on and it's playing images of Vietnam. Yeah, of somebody the, getting the, burned the burning in the monk. street. Yeah, the burning monk. And she's looking at this and she's horrified. Yeah. But something that I noticed, and you might have not picked up on this, but I noticed it when I was I was briefly rewatching the movie. I don't know if this was intentional or if it was a mistake. There's no cord coming out of the TV. Oh, I didn't notice that. Maybe that was just a mistake, but I don't know if it is, because Bergman was known as being like a super... He was a perfectionist director. Uh, um, one of those. One of those, yeah. Not <laughs> to the point... He, I don't think he did like a million takes like Kubrick, but he was very precise about how actors moved in a frame, how they performed. Somewhat fastidious about the content of his Yeah, shots. so I have to wonder if he knew that the... Maybe there was some kind of symbolic nature to that scene. If there's one... If there's one director who meant for that cord not to be in the shot it's probably bergman yeah so i have to wonder if that meant something but in that context but, if she was well visualizing in that, that context was... well in that context then if the if there is no plug what does that mean to you yeah well i'm i'm not sure i guess maybe it's like right at that time vietnam was starting to really fire up maybe. there is another use of like clips later on i think isn't there like, um uh, let me think about this for a minute well, uh, well, to me, what a lot of the yeah, there's like, it's not, it's not, an, it's not a, it's not a moving image. It's a picture. It's a picture of, uh, it's a Holocaust picture. Yes, uh, she's looking with at the a little picture boy with his hands up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I wasn't sure what to make of those scenes at all. Like, she's looking, she's obviously reacting internally to these images of the burning monk and these people being forced out of their homes, but. I, I couldn't connect it with anything. I it didn't. I couldn't figure out how they fit in the what theme. I, what I could sort of see about that is that here you have this woman who's this actress who's so wrapped up in her own head, and throughout the movie we see her. You know, maybe she might be playing mind games with Sister Alma. She might. She be, might yeah. just be crazy. But she still. There's still a lot of horror out in the world, and you know it really is deeply affecting her in some way. Um, again, but but, uh, but, the, but the outside world doesn't factor very much into this. There are very few shots where two people are in the same shot. Mm. I noticed, and the only other character aside aside from Mrs. Vogler and Alma are mm -hmm. is the doctor. She does come in earlier, and and, and, and eventually the the husband, uh, the Mrs. husband, Vo does Mr. Vogler, does most come of the in movie, once or twice. Most of the movie is mean, just those... the two of them together. Yeah. What happens is they go off to this like they. The the nurse decide the head nurse decides all right we can't really do anything for for you in this hospital you know if Sister Alma should maybe help you get back on your feet so they go off to this beach house and what happens is though again beautifully photographed oh god it looks gorgeous you know, yeah on, the, on, the, on that great. rocky shore and there's this great scene that I love like I don't know when it, it was like towards the middle where Alma is in her bed and Mrs. Volger just comes in through the background mm -hmm. and like it, she uh, Alma's in the darkness. Yes. Mrs. Volger has been in the background, but she looks white. Like, yeah, ghostly. Her, yeah. And, because she's also wearing a white dress that yeah. like, hugs her body. And it, it's fantastic because mm -hmm. she looks so ethereal, but she's, she's obviously there. Yes. In that shot, there's no, there's no uh, composite effect. There's no 
there's no digital imagery. No, there's not. This was done all in camera, as we say. And there's nothing sinister going on, but it's just a very haunting image of like this person Mm -hmm. in bed in darkness, and this person who just looks just looks ghostly behind her. Yeah. What happens in this movie too is that the actresses are B.B. Anderson. She plays Sister Alma, and Lee Volman plays um, Vogler. what happens is they'll be cut, like, Sister Alma, for some reason or another, I guess maybe it's because here's this person who's not talking, but, you know, she, she hopefully she's a good listener, so I'm just going to talk and talk. Oh, yeah, and she and talks. she opens up a lot to her, to the point where, you know, after having some wine one night, you know, she starts talking about her marriage, but then it goes into... She talks about... A, a story involving... A sexual encounter a she A sexual had. encounter on a beach, which, and, I don't know well, about you, but I, I find that scene, it's kind of disturbing, and yet incredibly erotic oh it's very erotic because the thing is not i don't think it's very disturbing it's uh, well no it's certainly within the realm of possibility and no one no one's forced to do anything no that not not disturbing so much but just like maybe just in the way that lee volman's just kind of sitting there watching and she's just not moving she's very passive face and it's this very intimate voyeurism it's very intimate voyeurism the way that she describes the story bergman's writing you can visualize this happening. Yeah. It's that vivid a description. That's what makes it so potent. And did I say that weirdly? No, I was just thinking of another thing this film reminded me of. Um, there, there are those somewhat stereotypical Bergman shots of a character looking towards the camera. And then and another then character, another character comes character in, on the side. in profile. Yes. And it reminded me so much of this episode of Animaniacs. <laughs> was, there, was there a Bergman parody? There was. Oh. It was boy. an episode where Wacko was in a Swedish meatball eating contest and he ate I too many I meatballs and death came to collect him. And so they had to play chess for Wacko's soul. Of course. And. And they have the. <laughs> and they have that profile and that one shot yes. of. Uh, and it's like, all is null and void. Are we dead? Or is this Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> this is why Animaniacs was great. Yes. Who else was going to do a Bergman parody? Indeed. Their characters were based on the Marx Brothers. And I and instantly recognized that shot. Yes. <laughs> I feel so... like the thing about Bergman with this movie... Okay, so I know, again, you've only seen The Seventh Seal as the only Yeah, Bergman that's my movie. only other Bergman yeah, film. I've... I, without saying, not ta- and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I just, Bergman is one of my top three, like, well, filmmakers. Y- you have I've like seen a, a lot of his you films. You have, like, a five-hour Bergman film in your top five. <laughs> well, yeah, the director is kind of Fanny Alexander. Um, but up to this point, like, what's interesting with me, like, with this movie, and I know, I guess I know a little bit about the history of this. Um, Bergman, before he made this movie, like, he was actually in the hospital. He had some kind of illness or some kind of surgery or something and like he was in his bed and he just like started writing stuff like almost free association he was just like you know i've been doing some movies lately and you know i'm not really liking them that much i want to just break free and just do something completely different and like try to break down the cinematic form okay way. and i almost feel like um i don't know if you notice this in the opening images there is a quote to unchin andalu really there's a moment where you see, like, I think it's not a person's eye, but you see, like, a lamb's eyes being held open and the rays are coming, but you don't see the eye coming out. And I feel like there's a lot of evo- evocation of cinema history itself. There is, a, there, there is a little montage at the beginning. 
Yeah. Uh, Like a movie projector, a cartoon, Mm -hmm. baby's hands. This is stuff I wrote down. Uh, The brick wall. Slit throat. Butchered sheep. uh, You know, someone's slitting a sheep's throat. The crucifix. And a nail through somebody's hand. Yeah. Uh, But these don't really seem to add up to anything in the narrative either. I, I didn't expect there to be all these things in the film, but I still can't connect any of those images mm. to any theme. So that theme. kind of threw you off, probably. A little bit. Because mm-hmm. I was I was expecting a little more surrealism. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. here's a montage. This is exactly what I expect. But then it just launches into this very uh, very casual uh, narrative. Story yeah. But I think that it's deceptive, though, because the, these two women... I got the sense that Bergman was also breaking down, like... The whole idea of acting and a performance. I did have a feeling that it was about acting. Yeah. I mean, Bergman is com- came from a theater background, I believe. Didn't oh, he? oh, yeah, but he spent his life. Yeah, in the and so uh, and, he said, "Theater and, is my theater is my wife. Film is my mistress." <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Mrs. Vogler, she is a stage actress. She's mm-hmm. doing. She's she's in a the play they mention is is Electra, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and Miss, we get the feeling that maybe Mrs. Vogler is playing Alma because she's trying to research some sort of part, or she's trying to get some inspiration, because she writes in the letter, well, I've been studying Alma for a long time, and she's told me a lot of yeah, the personal letter, things. Yeah, the letter becomes kind of like a betrayal of uh, the trust. Yeah. It's like, you know, she didn't tell her, don't tell anybody about this, but there's that kind of implicit Well, who thing. was, she, yeah, and it's like, who's she going to tell? She doesn't talk. Yes. I... <laughs> Now, there are a couple little things, too, that I thought about when I've seen the movie. Now, when I first watched this film, uh, it was actually a censored version. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this in the opening montage. For a split second, there's an erect penis. No, I didn't see it. Oh, you missed it. It might not have been there, though. I don't know, because if you saw the Criterion version, it should have been director's cut. That was Well, either way, I didn't see it. If you've seen... Have you seen Fight Club? Yes. They... Oh, yeah, the the whole thing. You know, ripped off Persona for that. <laughs> ah. And so in that sense, that sort of gave me the key to this movie, that it being about, like, the merging of these two people, possibly. I yeah. Know. So what you're saying, though, is that now because you didn't quite get the movie, did that, it sort of impede you really enjoying the film? Well, I, I wasn't satisfied. Okay. But, I mean, I was still enjoying looking at all the photography. Okay. I really enjoyed a lot of the images and the ca- and the actors. The like, performances are fantastic. The performances are good. I was I was just enjoying watching these two people. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't feel quite satisfied at the end That's because okay. I still don't That's understand fair. what the point or what the what the film was trying to really get at. I feel like for it, me, it's, to be it, honest, the first time I saw it... takeaway is elusive to the me. The first time I saw it, to be fair, I actually don't think I 100% understood either. I almost took it as like mostly being about these two women and the sort of push and pull of their trust. And then with parts that are just pure surrealism. So what motivated you to put this on my list? I think that this is one of those movies that... If you're becoming cinem- like cinematically literate and you're looking at the history of 20th century cinema, it's one of those movies that I think is important to see. I think it kind of speaks to what is the cinematic experience in some ways. Hmm. Like, you know, again, you have these flashes of images about history of cinema, you know, bookending the movie, what, you know, the actual process of making a movie. And then most of the movie are just these two women. And one woman is talking and one is listening, but it's like 
that to me sort of speaks to being sort of part of like the theatrical experience. Sort of a wall of separation. Kind of, yeah. And I, th- I remember if I remember near the end of the movie, one of the women, I think maybe Anderson's like, no, no, I'm Alma. I'm not Elizabeth Vogler. And then you see like a shot where it's just their two faces. Two halves of their faces are molded composited together. on one to on yeah. another. And um, I don't know. Now, what, uh, what did you have a favorite scene? I think just my favorite scene was that one image of that ghostly shot of Vogler in the mm. background because it was just such a good-looking, haunting image yeah. that it just it just burned itself in my mind. And what follows that after that is the shot of the uh, the two of them kind of coming yeah. together at night. Right. All right. So that was Persona. All right, Mr. Bergman. All right. So this is going to be a great contrast because you gave me an art house classic. I gave you. 60s sword and sandal. Oh boy. And so, Greek mythology, man. All I right. So, give it to us. Jason and the Argonauts. Right. Um, with music. Directed by Don Chaffee. Who, who I don't I don't really know him, but. Who cares? The, well, <laughs> well, the thing is, the real auteur of this movie uh, is Ray Harryhausen. Right. Of course. Mr. Ray Harry, the late Ray Harryhausen, who. Uh, this is probably one of the movies he's most well known for. This is it certainly has his most recognizable sequence. I think the end of this is it's his masterpiece. The skeleton fight at the, the end, end of is the sequence, his crowning achievement. It is. Uh, but before we well, get to but that, we're getting though, ahead of ourselves. So what the movie is really is about is um, uh, there's a prophecy that uh, somebody is going to come, uh, and his name, as we're told, is Jason. Uh, this is like in the sort of prologue to the movie, I guess right. you could say. Jason's father yeah. is the king of Thessaly, and he's overthrown by Pelias. Yes, and um, it's first, and it's foretold that uh, Jason will come back and overthrow Pelias. That's right. And uh, Zeus, of course, is involved in this as well. He's kind of the overseer, as yeah. he is in Greek mythology. Um, and uh, what happens is that it kind of cuts. We don't really see Zeus as a kid. We just kind of see this opening, Jason, where. Jason, sorry. <laughs> and that I like. What this film does... It kind of cuts right away to when Jason is an adult. Yeah, and, a very uh, effective use of time. Because yeah. we don't have to see Jason learning to be awesome. He's returned and, to claim his kingdom. Right, and they compress a lot of other things into very effective montages later on. Uh, but let's get, let's let's uh, finish up our little synopsis here. Yeah, and so what happens is he finds... He discovers that there is a golden fleece, which he must get. This is kind of... I would almost say it's a MacGuffin, but it's not really. I know that these objects have importance. I'd say it's more or less a MacGuffin. Yeah, I mean, do we really the know The one what? scene the where it does fleece... something is just kind of thrown in. Yeah, <laughs> ultimately when you see the Golden Fleece, there's actually one point where it seems like the Golden Fleece turns off. Yes. <laughs> but that was because you couldn't light it while people were carrying it. Yeah, I noticed that. That's when they take and, it off. And I finally street. realized that when I saw this movie again. Okay. It's like, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, there is a lot. It's interesting because there's a lot of exposition in this movie, but I guess I just kind of took that as this is what the genre is. Um, what happens is though, Jason he puts together he has to put together this crew because he can't just go off by himself to this island. This is Colchis. Colchis, thank you. He needs to get a you know good men together. One of those. Okay, so this is the Hercules. 
Yes. That we're talking about. Not like a different Hercules. Right. All right. I was just wanting to make there that clear. There is only one Hercules. All right. I was just making sure he wasn't like Hercules Jones or something like that. <laughs> Hercules the second. No. Because the thing is, well, Hercules in this movie is a supporting character. Right. And he has a big beard. Yeah, he's played by a somewhat older gentleman. Uh, I don't know who... No, who... I don't remember a lot of any actors' names. Frankly, they're not... I, I will be, tell I'm you... I'm not going to be cruel here. I just... They're not that significant to me. But I will tell you one one actor who people... Some people will recognize. Uh, F- Phineas, the blind man. Uh, what, what part? The guy who was... The harpy stole the food from. Oh, yes. Phineas yeah. was played by Patrick Troughton, the second doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. An interesting thing, because I know in a future because in, list in the, movie, yeah. Tom Baker is in Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Right. And I'm like, Patrick Chapman, I'm pretty sure he was one of the doctors. I wrote that down. Nice. Uh, so I should talk about what, what happens is, I mean, so Jason finally gets his group together, gets this big boat, and that's kind of a significant thing I remember in the movie, the fact that he has to get this boat that will be able to take them, because we're told over and over again, there's no way you can get to Crocus, or Krakus. Colchis. Colchis, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, he has to he has to gather a crew. He has to sail to Colchis, and it's all about him trying to uh, to get to Colchis yeah. just to find the fleece. Like most of it is the journey there. Yeah, most of it it's an adventure movie. What we get is like a you know basically a B level adventure movie. He encounters but a solid B adventure. It's a fun little movie. It's let me put it this way: the sections that Ray Harryhausen does are like masterpieces like right. they're masterpieces of special effects the rest of the story around it is decent it's yeah. all right i'm it's not serviceable i, I, I nothing think profound if i watched it as a kid i wrote this down to myself i might like it i might have liked it a lot more yeah it's really a movie meant for kids and that's a, it, that's something though i did appreciate though the fact that if jason the argonauts was made today it would just be a special effects mess and that's what i noted when i watched this film again that's i like, was thinking about I was thinking about how Clash of the Titans. I like the original Clash of the Titans a good deal, and I like that much more than the remake. For yeah. The simple reason that, okay, all right, you might not have the best actors in the world. Everybody is very, like, straightforward and maybe even, like, slightly stiff. Like, Jason, the actor plays Jason, he has all of his dialogue like this. Todd Armstrong. I'm going to go. Todd Armstrong. But. Even so, it's still enjoyable in that way because it has an innocence to it. You like Jason. You like his crew. You you do. I mean, you like not... Hercules. You know, even though he's Hercules has some personality to him. I like that moment with um with his on, little friend Hylos. Ta- yeah, well, they're getting they get stuck inside the Talos statue, yeah. and they need to get out. And the way that he pushes out, I thought was kind of fun to watch because he's then, Hercules and he's awesome. Yeah, Hercules. Um. And, you know, and like I said, the special effects, the Talos statue I thought was great because it's meant to look and move creakily. Yeah. Because it's a giant metal being. And you see it at first and you think, well, he's he's, he's kind of stuttery and weird. This has just got to be bad stop motion. Yeah. It's like, no, he's just rusty and he's gigantic. That's but, why he does it. Because later on you see other creatures that move just as smoothly as any sort of digital effect. And yeah. let's talk about that because I was watching this and like as soon as the first scene popped up where there was like a burning city and people running away, you have to wonder... How much of this stuff has been replaced by a green screen? Yeah, and when a you digital see, crowd. When you see a fire in this movie, it like you could see where the fire is separate from the rest of the movie. 
but it still looks kind of cool. It's a real you know fire with real, real fire. You're not watching a CGI fire. And you're seeing only a section of a set, but you are seeing a real set. Yeah, like... Real statues, real seascapes, real people. Mm-hmm. And, except for the monsters, which... Yeah, I mean, I th- and granted, look, there are some parts that, like, okay, you know, when, you know, the, the Talos statue... the Am I saying that right? Talos. Talos statue. Sorry, is like kind I'm not of. Get... He he's kind of rocking the boat, so to speak. Yes. And people are flying off the boat. Some of them, they're not even falling. They're just kind of like diving ah! off. Yeah. I mean, that obviously <laughs> looks a little cheesy. And actually, what I wrote down in capital letters on my page in big print was, "He has an Achilles heel." Yes. <laughs> I love it. like yeah. it, the way he bleeds out. It's like you almost for a second feel sorry for him. Just in the way that what Harryhausen was great at, I watched a documentary on the DVD about this, that he actually trained briefly as an actor. And huh. so he brought that experience with him into the experience of making these things. I would say that, obviously, yeah, the my favorite sequence, of course, by far, is the climax, which, you know, it's, it's a you have a while to get there. Um, yeah. But by the time you get there, it is just... So beautifully, and made, there are plenty of stops along of the way. You have Talos, no, the, the who has person- are my second favorite. Yeah, thing. Uh, there are plenty of things like Talos looks good. He has his own little personality. He has this sort of green patina because he's bronze. He looks mm-hmm. great. Yeah, uh, and the way he moves is unique. Then the harpies come up, and they do little subtle things where they interact with the environment, because when like a harpy grabs Phineas's sash yes. and unravels him, <laughs> and that's actually. And you're like, wait a minute, that's actually happening on screen. It's not like yeah. someone animated that in. They've planned it so that that sash would unravel and they'd add the harpies in later to make it look totally mm-hmm. natural. There is a lot of great detail in this movie that I am glad that I... Because I've seen, for example, the skeleton fight. I've seen that yeah. by itself several times. Like That was the one thing I saw before watching the movie. But watching it in the movie, something I never noticed before... Each skeleton, their armor has a different symbol on it. Yeah, they have different. They have different shields. Different. I really like that. Like you can. They're actually, not cookie cutter skeletons. No, they are actually. They're raised from the dead to fight Jason as like one last real, you know, challenge. Yeah, obstacle. Yeah. Um, now here's a question. Now here's something interesting. Um, one thing I wrote down too. Zeus doesn't do shit in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's typical of Zeus. He's now, not he's not a dick like he usually is. Yeah. Zeus, now I know you're you're much more of the Greek mythology guy than I am. Like, is this taken from a story? Well, Jason and the Argonauts is one of the great Greek legends. Okay. I it's like it's like the last big thing before the Trojan War. Oh, okay. And so there is a story about how Jason went to Colchis to bring back the Golden Fleece and uh, and spoilers, things do not end well between him and Medea. Uh, yeah, Medea but, kind of co- pops up in like the last act of this movie. I, but she was in the story. Yeah, no, and everything she's, she's she does good. in the movie is based on legend. She's quite, she's quite the image in this movie. The way that she first appears and that, but that, how that, she's but used. That's typical of a of a of the sword and sandals yeah. genre. Get also, a, get some muscular men and some curvaceous women. Uh, and add some sort of special effects and monsters, and you basically yeah. have an, uh, one thing. That you yeah. basically have a, an ancient drama. Yeah. One thing that's <laughs> slightly dated to me. I don't know you'd be able to, like, I, I could live with it. Hera, you know, she's on the boat with them. Yeah, the god is sort of traveling with them, and when they, when he, when she talks to Jason, you just see her eyes open yeah. and the voiceover. 
that part was a little bit dated. It is a little dated. You know, whereas uh, all the other uh, the technology I had was not uh, was not at that point where they could make the the Hera puppet talk or do anything because if they did, it would have looked like a ventriloquist dummy. It would have looked ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, there are a couple of lines I wrote down that I just found like, really, you just said that. Like at one point, Medea says to Jason, "I have no country now, and I love you." <laughs> he sa- she says that so passionlessly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, I like- that's why. Like to me, yeah, it looks really fun. The actors in it, though, are not top rate. They, it is a B movie in that sense. Yeah, it's uh, not. Like Patrick they- Troughton has a good line where oh, he sure. says, uh, "After uh, head head northeast of here, and you'll run into the clashing rocks." And Jason says, what are the clashing rocks? And he's like, well, they speak for themselves, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but the main thing I think that's important for this is the work of Ray Harryhausen. No, he was he was a genius. I think without him, I think it could be argued that maybe we would have Sam Raimi as a filmmaker, but it would not be the same I think he influenced his Maybe not. Evil Dead movies so much. You certainly wouldn't have Army of Darkness. No, certainly you not. Know, because that had skeleton fights that directly were inspired by this movie. It, it, the skeleton fights still look amazing. Yeah. Because it's not just a bunch of skeletons waving their arms around. They are more or less interacting with the the people on film. It has that and same it, magic it, it, it as takes, Roger Rabbit. It took serious choreography serious to get choreography, that right. And, you know, you had to... Harryhausen had to definitely, you know, consult with the other filmmakers. It yeah. had to be kind of almost more... He was... Even though the film had a director, he was really the guy who had to be calling the shots. The one that. problem I have is with the Hydra fight, just before they take the Golden Fleece. It I, I does kind of like the Hydra fight. The, the Hydra looks good, but basically it's just Todd Armstrong waving his arms around. It is, There's not yeah. much interaction there. The Hydra is just there, and Armstrong is, mm-hmm. is reacting to nothing. It's it's really in direct contrast to the fight that happens later. Yes. Uh Whereas, you know, the skeleton fight is mm-hmm. just magnificent. Oh, yeah. And it's obviously claymation, like, stop motion. Oh, sure, animation. sure. There's no use pretending it's not. But and then you when they still f- have to wonder how they were able to do it. It, oh, it yeah. must have been daunting to say, all right, we're going to have people fighting skeletons, and we're going to make it look good. Yes. It's like, and also on top of that, I mentioned Bernard Herrmann did the Bernard music. Herman, Bernard Herman, I Bernard Herman is the other mastermind in this movie. He makes the movie sound so much fun. Yeah, like he he livens up scenes that could be so so dull without good music. Right, like there's that scene where Jason and his men, I think, are they on Cocos already or do they? Uh, like they're they're seeing like the dancing. Yeah. Yeah. That scene wouldn't be good without Bernard Herman music. No. Um, so it's like these elements really do help to liven up a story that, for me, again, I'm not a huge Greek mythology guy. I think I find it, I do find some of it fascinating. Depends on the story. I think this, uh, again, Hercules, you know, it's like, like I said, I wrote down for a moment, not the Hercules, right? That's how much knowledge I fucking have. <laughs> But like I said, it's because it's not the typical Hercules. It's not just the simple strongman. This guy looks like he's more brawny than that. Yeah. You know, he's he's actually somebody who I could believe, all right, you are a really strong guy. And you're also not very smart. <laughs> no. And I'm going to stick around on this island to find my friend, 
Even was, though he's, I know he's probably dead because, yeah, he was stomped on by Talos. Yeah. But what can you do? Um, 30 seconds. Wrap up your thoughts on this. All right. So Jason the Argonauts, I would say this is a fun little movie. I would say it's a good for a old-fashioned Saturday matinee. If you have a kid, you should show it to him or her. I think that... Before they get too old. No, you should show it to them so that they have a sense of what a movie can do without complex CGI. That you can create wonders with, you know, stop-motion animation. All right. All right, and that wraps up our list for this week. We got into... You know, the art film and the B film of the 1960s. Yes! Very, uh, you know, that one time where Ingmar Bergman and Ray Harryhausen come together in a great matrimony of... I, I, We're going to take another it. short break. I, I need, we'll to, I need another drink. with our required <laughs> reading and our discussion about surrealism. Until then... We're going to pause. <laughs> 